So, this is podcast number two. Well, it's more of a conversation now. And uh, we're joined by... Me, Craig Seaton. And Chet Carson again. So, how did the first one go? Great, man. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, playing it back, everything just flowed smoothly. And yeah, I'm really happy with the first podcast. So we thought we'll just jump on the bandwagon and go straight into the second one. Yeah. Um, we had some interesting conversations in the previous one, didn't we? Mm. A lot of topics. Um, but yeah, where do you want to start on this one? Uh, man, I think just the topic of how the first conversation went, you yeah. know, how it... There was no really anything planned for it and it just entered its own flow state. And this is something that I'm big on, like I absolutely love flow states and yeah. what it is that we can do to put ourselves in that state, which is your environment, which is the people that we're with, mm. which is also our emotions and how we're feeling and what's in our head and the, the capabilities of letting go of thought and being comfortable enough to do that as well. Um, that's, access is that flow state and then you don't know where it's gonna go. And that's, that's the beauty of it, is you've not got it planned out and you know reflecting on how the conversations is with yourself yeah and certain yeah. people as opposed to certain people where those flow states are a bit they, they're not there it's like how's the day yes all right you okay yeah i'm okay and like you know limited yeah, yeah, small sure. wow when we get going and there's nothing planned yeah you're breaking all the limits you're just letting it be what it's going to be how it organically grows and we all know organic's the best right organic fruit sure, and veg organic sure. conversation organic feeling organic emotion like that's where it's at it's funny, um, it's, before we started recording this, we were already in the flow state. As soon as we walked in, you know, we were just talking about, um, I don't know, what, what were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about the tantra, <laughs> yeah. sexual energy. Your your bag being on fire. My bag being on fire. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Yeah. So let's start off with that then. Let's talk about the workshop or the talk that we're doing on the weekend. Uh, we're covering sexual tantra and brahmacharya slash celibacy. Uh, do you want to talk about yeah side? going into understanding what sexual energy is itself I mean we all use it it's actually the, the major unconscious driving force behind so many of our actions and our thoughts and what we want out of life um, and also how misused it is in the way with unconsciousness or unawareness of how potent that energy is and what we can do with it and a big point of topic is is the wastage of it through for men at least through ejaculation or through sex all the time and just coming without knowing that that can be preserved and have a massive, a major effect on our welfare and our health and the energy that we can create mm. from retaining uh, sexual energy, which doesn't mean not having sex. I can 100% attest to that, have a very healthy sex life. Um, but it's the retaining of the release of the energy actually ends up giving you more energy over time. Mm. And for those who seek the pleasurable side of things, is it the difference of the orgasm as well from releasing to retaining? Because ejaculation and orgasm are two separate things, but we're trained to think they're together and it's one thing. So there's also that aspect. Um, but I think personally, the bigger part of it is that conscious lovemaking, that it's coming from the heart and you're raising your energy, but you're open. You know, you're doing it with love, not with lust. Mm. It's coming from a, a spiritual place and it completely transformed how sex is seen and what you will do it for. And you work out whether you're looking at every... Uh, member of the sex you're attracted to with lust or you can then exchange that and see that person for beauty and for what they are rather than what the desires want from that aspect right, right yeah i love it man i love it i mean yeah there's the fun and the stuff of it but for me it's more about the deeper spiritual practice yeah okay so it's interesting that you say that about um having that attraction when you see someone when you see a female of the opposite sex there's an immediate attraction and there's then the lust kicks in you know 
Um, to be able to control that, I think the part where brahmacharya and celibacy comes in is it gives you a, a separation between the lustful side and then the conscious side. You know, you start to look at people, you start to look at the opposite sex as just purely a human being and you no longer have those lustful desires or lustful, lustful sort of thoughts in your head. Mm-hmm. And it's quite liberating to, to live life like that. You know, I've been doing it for the last uh, year and a half or so. And yeah, it's, it's transformed my life. When I have conversations with with women, with elder women, with younger women, it just comes so, it becomes uh, pure. There isn't a, an essence of, you know, how am I going to, you know, I find this person attractive, but then that's why it ends. There's no objectivity. Um, and I feel like it's something as, especially as males, we should practice uh, because of the society that we live in. Sex is everywhere. It's plastered everywhere. So to try and get away from that, it's it becomes very challenging. Yeah. Um, Let's just look at music videos or movies, uh, magazines. Like everyone's looking super attractive. Mm. Instagram, everyone's looking super attractive. And what is that feeding? It's like actually feeding the... That the, the lustful side of us, it, why do we want to look so attractive? Like, I have no problem whatsoever, and I hope this isn't misconceived, of people putting a, bug, a good picture or feeling mm. sexy, like, great, it's fine. Yeah. But what are we doing it for? Like, why are we advertising it constantly? Honestly, maybe it's because there's power in there. Like, with women and the post pictures they put on Instagrams, and often, you know, having this conversation with my female friends, is they say more often it's actually to do it for other women, not for men, right. which I find interesting. Yeah, approval and assurance from other women. Right. And it's, it's so funny you say that, because um, I've, I've got a couple of friends that are obviously girls, and they say they would put makeup on, not for a guy, generally, obviously to attract a guy, but then it's mainly so then a woman says, oh, you've got beautiful makeup on. Which guy goes over to a girl and says, you've got beautiful makeup on? Mm, you know, you, yeah. you won't get many cases of that. You just look at the person and think, oh, this person looks attractive. But mm. for a girl, it's like, okay, it goes a little deeper. It's like, okay, you, your makeup is really nice. It's the way it's done and stuff. We don't really appreciate that. So yeah. it comes back to what Jordan Peterson says about um, why makeup is used in a workplace um, and how... He believes it's done for attraction, to try and attract the opposite mate. But then a lot of women will try and argue that and say it's done out of just a person wanting to look good. Mm. But wanting to look good and attraction, they kind of, the two sides of the same coin, aren't they? Yeah, man. I mean, let's let's keep it equal 42 and see it from the guy's perspective because uh, uh, an ex-partner's mother of mine, I had this conversation with her and because she, she was a wise woman. And I was talking about this makeup thing as well a few years back mm-hmm. and how it's always been in society and you know people want to be seen who they are and feel okay to wear what they want and do the one, but we don't help ourselves when we don't recognize it. Well, when putting makeup on every day or a guy's wearing a certain thing every day. Um, so I said, you know, why is it that women do that to wear makeup every day? It seems further than what men do. And she wonderfully counteracted and say, well, you shave your beard, don't you? You know, mm-hmm. you take care of your eyebrows and you yeah. get a certain haircut. And yeah. I was like, shit yeah you're right you know that's that's me doing it unconsciously so I had to get to reflect on the barrier of look good because it's great to look good right you know when we go to the gym and I definitely fell into the group of people who go to the gym for the vain reasons you know I took mild anabolic steroids mm. to get bigger because I felt insecure about I'm not big enough gotta keep going gotta keep going because of the effects that it did get me girls and I did feel good about myself but it was endless it was a bottomless pit right. there was no satisfaction that would ever be achieved through it um, but yeah, those aspects that we think we're feeling good from and we do feel good when we're doing them, but that's what the addiction is because it doesn't end. Mm. So until we're courageous enough 
um, to go, you know what, I don't want to do this every day. Do it some days when it feels right. Like there's a difference between doing it because you want to do it or doing it because you fell into a trap somewhere. Yeah. So and that's the difficulty. Yeah. And that's the conversation we don't want to have. Yeah, for sure. That's the difference between conscious and being reactive to the situation and just like going with what you've been doing as a, as a way, as a formal habit, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, so when you said about the anabolic steroid situation with you, I had the same thing when I went into weight training. So back when I first started weight training in 2012, 2013, it was considered strange and probably not a sort of, you wouldn't think a vegan or a vegetarian would be able to gain a certain size or look a certain way. You know, it was all about taking um, as high protein as possible, which came from meat sources. So um, for a guy like me to gain size uh, and almost be comparable to a person that's on a, on a non-veg diet was, wasn't really considered or wasn't really seen. So when I started gaining size, I got a lot of attention, a lot of attention straight away. And people were like, what are you eating? What kind of diet are you on? What kind of nutrition are you taking? And I told them, look, I was eating the typical Indian diet, dal, rice, and, and still gaining size. And my protein intake was only from plant sources. So from, um, what do we call, what do we call them now? Mm. Uh, lentils, beans, etc. And I was substituting the, I was, well, I was taking protein shakes, but that was only as a, a supplement, nothing more than that. And I was gaining a lot of size. And uh, when I was spending a lot of time in London, I got a lot of attention from my community from down there. A lot of the guys found found it amazing that a guy from our community could, could do this. Mm. Um, so I managed to you know, inspire a few of the guys down there. But then through that process, as those guys got into it, I felt quite empty. So I'd gained everything I wanted to gain. I was the biggest I ever was. Then I was the... I could lift the heaviest I've ever lifted, yet I was the leanest at the same time. But then I still had this sense of emptiness and I didn't know why. It was once I started going towards um, mindful and conscious training, so bodyweight training, handstands, handstands requires a certain amount of balance, which requires a serious amount of focus and other forms of just, you know, skill work. That's when I started to realize that, okay, um, it's not about the physical image. It's about how I feel on the inside. To gain size is a goal you, you set for yourself and then once you get there, what's your next goal? Get bigger. <laughs> exactly. And I think we fall into that trap because mm-hmm. there's nothing more than that. Whereas if you are working on skill work, you know, the best thing you can do is to refine your skill, achieve another skill and, you know, add to your sort of, um, your character in a way. Whereas the this physical side of training doesn't really do that. You know, mm. It just shapes the exterior and that's it. And we know that looks fade and you will eventually have to give up that and maybe you won't have to do it right now but when you're 50 years old and you have heart problems you'll have to give it up mm. you know especially if you're taking uh, steroids or any forms of uh, what do we call these it's like enhancements yeah enhancements <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah. even strong heavy meat based diets like you've got Schwarzenegger now yeah Trump, uh, pioneering the, the vegetarian vegan movement yeah because, and he yeah. was like the biggest advocate for it but he's had what like two two heart Transplant, mm. or not heart transplants, but he's had heart issues, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah. Um, and it's from the excess of, of diet and steroids, and even that amount of stress on the body on a regular basis. But um, let's tie this into what we were saying about the makeup situation. Mm. Like, this is what guys are doing, you know, yeah, and we yeah. don't realize we're in it. It's like, oh, I'm getting big, and looking good is nowhere near as 
great for yourself is feeling, feeling good. good and whatever yeah. feeling good is what do you do to feel good how do you do that for me now I train if I'm doing circuits and weights and gym 20-30 minutes I mm. used to be an hour an hour 15 and like everybody body's type different right and I always tell people to figure out just know thyself always in yeah. any regards any respect know what works for you because we've got the paths followed out for us by other people as you're saying the talk I listened to with Christian Murray this morning is like read your book what is the book about mm. you not somebody else's idea not yeah. somebody else's book and that's great for us to get an understanding of somebody who's been there they can teach us we can guide from them great take as much as you can from that but remember to do it for what works with you specifically and that's it with training is training feels good so I'll do this kind of training too much of that fatigues me so mm. I ease off from yeah. doing the weights all the time and getting big I have to accept that my body type isn't built for that. Mm. Um, well, your lifestyle isn't built for that as well. Lifestyle isn't built for yeah, that. You've yeah. changed your lifestyle, so and now your lifestyle just doesn't support that kind of body. Even when I was doing it, it didn't support that kind right, of body. Like right. the image was, I was fighting my nature because I'm I'm thin and and tall, like mm. long limbs, man. You know, and so it was to to find training that suits that, not yeah. what my desire wants it to be. Yeah. We get the desire, yeah. we're tired with lust or how we want other people to see us or the external thing that we get the validation from that we think is the fulfillment, which it completely isn't. Yeah. It's what is in line with our nature yeah. that helps us blossom as to who we are and adds to it, not makes us have to hold something up because mm. that is the character. That is the shine of what we are. We're adding to that to be what we're supposed to be. Mm. And it's fighting that is a fight that will never be won and it will just lead down another road that isn't the right way and we'll go on yeah. that road as long as we want to but sometimes we need to go in the other direction and figure that out and go ah now I get it great I can go the other way and yeah. fully embrace it my friend Helena who's a hand balancer she once told me when I approached her many many years ago when we used to train together I said to her it's insane how big and lean your arms are and I said what do you do for it and she goes well I've never really got into weightlifting at the time, she wasn't doing any weightlifting. She came from a dancing background, so you can understand her legs being quite big and, and lean, but her arms shouldn't have that proportion. Yeah. So she said to me that she's just spent two years, well, it was about two years of her life at the time, or just on her hands doing handstands every day, and that shaped her arms. And she said something that really stuck with me and still stuck, me, stuck with me to this day. She said, if the body, the way the body is adapted is a byproduct of my training. If the body didn't have these sort of um, physical benefits or side effects, she would still be training, regardless of whether her body was changing or not. It's just that she was obsessed and in love with training itself that she wanted to do it. Now, as soon as I approach my training in that mindset, doing something you love. So I realized that with weightlifting, you know, there's only so much you can take it. Let's say if you want to learn to deadlift 150 kilos, once you get there, what's your next goal? It's just adding another plate on. And that's all you're doing. And then it doesn't go anywhere. It's just you adding more and more plate on. Whereas if you're doing something that's a bit more skill work, uh, which has a bit more skill work involved, you are consciously uh, refining it and really trying to add more sort of grace towards it. So watching her train just doing her handstands, you know, you can literally spend two hours, she would train two or three hours you can literally spend the entire two or three hours just watching a train and you would get a deep sense of satisfaction just because of how graceful and elegant she was. Um, and I fell in love with that, the, the aspect of just being so good at what you're doing that it just comes across that you're elegant. And that's what happened with my training. And now it's transformed into like climbing. I'm just obsessed with climbing because once I kind of 
scratched the itch I had when it came to handstands and bodyweight training. I wanted to kind of transmute that into something else, apply it into something else. And naturally I fell into climbing and uh, now, now that is my obsession. And yeah, a lot of the guys that climb, you'll see that they are pretty much jacked. They're ripped. Yeah, yeah, they are, especially the girls. And again, it's all a byproduct of the long duration of training. Um, and one thing I want to point out is uh, a lot of these climbers will be able to train three to six hours a day, every day, um, because it's all based on endurance and it's all about the smaller muscles as opposed to the larger muscles. Now, we've come from, we have this obsession with the fitness world where we want to always, we only we only feel like we've worked if we sweat or we're, our body is, you know, a bit more in, in a shock mode. Um, and I think it's the wrong mindset. I think we've, we have, we've got to have this mindset of how farmers build their strength. If Let's say if you were a farmer and you went to 80, 90, 100% of your max each day, you would not last. You'll be gone, like you'll need three or four days off. You'll be able to work maybe two days a week and then have to take three or four days off. There is a price to pay when you when you take your body to a certain level uh, or a certain limit. Um, and I think we have to take that approach. So what would farmers what farmers would do is they would perform their task to about no more than 40, 50%, maybe 60% max, you know, because they know that they have to wake up the next day and do it over or over and over again. And then over time, they've accumulated this natural strength because their lifestyle requires them to be strong in that way. Whereas for us, we're only in there for 45 minutes a day, maximum, you know, um, and we have to understand that as soon as we stop doing that, the body will just say, I'll just revolt back to my usual state, you know, which was slightly smaller, uh, not as lean and just not as strong. Um, And it's because we're not providing the body the stimulation it requires to maintain that. You know, Mm -hmm. the body doesn't need that, so it'll get rid of what it doesn't need. See gymnasts, they'll be lean and shit for many years after they've stopped becoming gymnasts Mm -hmm. because they spent almost six to 10 hours, you know, a week just training consistently in that in that form um, and the body is adapted based on their training and it's not the other way around you're not chasing what the you're not chasing the effects of the body the body is just adapting to your training yes. I think that is really important in today's society um, especially when all these kids are getting into um, you know it's, it's nice to get into training and, and spending more time in the gym but do it out of conscious choice mm. not out of what other people are doing or the way you want to change your exterior it's, it's a good goal to have you know you want to lose a couple of pounds or if you want to gain a bit more size that's great but do something with it after you've done that yeah. once you've achieved that goal do something with it yeah I think it's becoming or realising our multidimensional nature so going from weightlifting and strength for many years which I, I did enjoy I loved it at the time yeah um, and also being younger like you know that was kicked off when I was 19 and kept that same mentality up till dad discovered meditation 24 um, so it was seeing that that has helped me be where I am now. So mm. I don't ignore it or say, you know, it wasn't any good because it was. It's, I do have a level of strength that I developed then because I did it for so long. But it's then transferring that onto the next thing, which has been, I fell in love with yoga. So I stopped doing the weights and then just did, uh, I did yoga pretty just hardcore mm. for, I don't know, it's been about eight months, like just yoga, not much else. Um, and I realized that I couldn't get too much further in yoga with tightness in my hamstrings and my hips. And I had to go back to strength training to help me break this barrier to load the body in a certain way. And it was like, okay, I'm starting to see a union of things here mm. that it's not just one way. I can be multidimensional. 
with these practices and we see that also when we go through certain phases with the friends that we get at a point and we hang out with or you know I did the um, like we've all been through changes how with the clothes that we wear and I did the whole very hippie vegan thing grew the long hair and man I looked I stopped training fully for about four <laughs> months at one point and I lost yeah. so much weight I was really into fasting at that time I was unhealthy but I was feeling it, in me I felt oh I'm good and I'm doing a good thing but I was like disappearing and I didn't have any strength and it's also to see that for me at least I go into these things fully when I do something mm. more so in my young years just to I would I would become obsessed you know use the word obsessed with climbing saying whatever uh, pursuit I'm in be it physical or a spiritual practice I would give it everything and I, I undisturbed it wouldn't ever be an issue I'd be like no I'm doing that and I do like that about myself but that can also be a detriment mm. where it would get carried away and it's getting to the grander picture I mean that also highlights views on the world like whatever we're doing and whatever's in our life will tell us something about our psychology and that was this is the way I must keep going gotta keep doing that and I need to be cautious of those things of ourselves. Um, but I would take that practice to where I'm now and go, ah, I love yoga and I do enjoy body weight training and some weight training. So I moderated the body weight and the weight training. And as I say, that'll be 20, 30 minutes, um, maybe two, three times a week, while I'll do two, three hour long yoga sessions. So it all, all pairs itself up. Yeah. Um, rather than being limited to one. And I had a big climbing phase, like I'd still go climbing now. And that would be out of enjoyment rather than making it a, I'm going to get better at this because I yeah. got to a, a level that I was satisfied with that I could do it and I wouldn't get too tired and I could get to like um, like the black colours or the red colours you know there was a good okay I've, I've got some skill with this but I didn't ever feel I want to go hard I want to get that that toughest little yellow ones you know that wasn't for me you're talking about a depot yeah yeah so yeah. that was you're talking about V3s to V4s and you wanted to get to V6s and V7s Oof, okay. So it'd be like, that is a long-term pursuit that I did not have the vitality for because yeah. that wasn't my passion. Right. I enjoy climbing. I enjoy it so it's fun for me and I will push to the level that I'm capable of but I won't pursue it to um, to those standards. And, but that's the beauty of being multidimensional is we don't have to stick to one thing and that does come with age and realisation, I think. Um, but also it comes with opening your mind like mm. if we start that younger we can see oh I got much benefit from that I'm going to keep doing that and I'm going to try it in this fashion um, I think that comes down to not being clinginess, clingy to the end goal because obviously you see the yellow and think okay that's my end goal for now I'm going to try doing whatever it takes to get there and certain personalities are obsessed in that way or programmed in that way to only think in that way mm. um, and I was one of those people but then you have to make the conscious decision to say okay, this actual journey is much better, mm. you know, so I don't need to, I'll keep that as a, you know, a goal in the back of my mind. And if I get there, great. If I don't, well, you don't really put a time on it. You just think, if I get there, however long it takes, I'll get there, you know, and it, it does come back to conscious choice and just enjoying what you're doing, just being really present and enjoying what you're doing right now. Um, and I think that is the challenge of of where we are in society to kind of, do stuff that makes us feel happy, um, but then do it to a level where we still want to get somewhere. Yeah, yeah, man. That's such a good point of conversation. It's anything that I'm coming into realization with that I'm doing or being or I'm interested in um, is to see that there is also another side and there's always going to be that other side. You asked me before how my orange was and I went, so sweet, it's sour <laughs> because it was... It, it was and it's like there's always two sides if it's hot there's a, a borderline where it can be cold or you know and it's figuring out that what you said like are we happy doing this thing um, 
or are we going to get carried away with it? You know, too long in paradise and it becomes hell. And it's that's life. That's just where I'm really at with life. You seeing this duality and finding how do we stay on that that balancing point in the middle? You know, the middle path. How do we how do we live there um, comfortably? Or maybe it's not being comfortably. Maybe in linked to our last conversation, it's just accepting of everything yeah. and always being able to follow our intuition and our energy to let that guide the right way. Um, and then again, for other people, it's we need to develop a sharper intellect and thought more than we can dive into the emotions. Yeah. Again, masculine, feminine, the duality is everywhere. It's always there. I think when you said that, it reminded me of when you listen to music, you never listen to music to get to the end point. Mm. You know, you're listening to it and you're present all the way through it. And it's one of those things we have in life that everyone can relate to. So when we talk about being present and doing things in the moment, there aren't many things people can relate to universally, but music is one of them where, you know, you're not waiting for the last note. Mm. You're listening to the music so you can appreciate the whole entire track or the entire um, duration of the track. And yeah, we need to apply that concept to other parts of our life and enjoy the actual process of getting to where we want to get to. Because what you realize, uh, when I was training handstands, it was the biggest indication. I wanted to be able to do press to handstand, handstand push-ups. You'd have these loose goals in mind, but when I first started, I wanted I was so rigid about it. I was like, I need to get to that stage. But then throughout that process of really being rigid, I saw fluidity. I was like, okay, that goal is is making me feel really obsessed, but I'm actually enjoying the moment and getting there. Like I can feel the small progressions towards that goal. And that feels more enjoyable than actually getting to that goal eventually. Mm. So when I got to that goal, I'm just like, eh, you know, it wasn't a big deal anymore. And I think I've kind of learned that approach with other things in life. I've been able to apply that concept to other parts of my life, including my spirituality and my mindfulness and, and my teaching as well. Teaching people, I see other people come into my classes with the same mindset. I want to be able to do a handstand. I want to be able to do a pancake, get my chest to the ground, uh, legs out, middle split and stuff like that. I'm just like, what's your reason for you know, setting this goal? And they say, like, oh, just out of curiosity if I can do it or not. I'm like, okay, that's great. But then understand that don't get too clingy to the goal. Because mm. some of these tasks, they don't, they're not you know, one-year tasks or two-year tasks. They're going to take a good number of years, especially if you haven't been doing it, if you don't have a background in it, and you're going all guns blazing right from the start. It's going to take you many years. Mm. Um, I was actually approached by a guy. I don't want to mention his name, but um, he messaged me on, I think I had his number, and he messaged me saying he wanted to achieve a middle split. And I asked him, what was your reason for achieving it? And he said to improve his martial arts and stuff. I was like, okay, so how, how long are you training your martial arts a week? And he said, I think once or twice or maybe three times a week. And, and I said to him, how old are you? And he said, 37 or 38. And I said to him, realistically speaking, if you want to get a middle split at this age with the amount of training that you're doing, it's going to take you five to seven years. Yeah, if you practice consistently, five to seven years, maybe three years if you go hardcore. But understand that, that if you do go hardcore, those two or three years is going to have consequences. You're going to have to suffer the injuries, the torn, mm-hmm. the torn muscles, maybe a couple of um, knots in your muscles and stuff. And it's just going to be an agonizing process. You might as well take the pathway. It's going to take you five or seven years, but you're going to be a lot more comfortable, more smooth through the, through the, the actual process. Um, but no, I, I don't think he was after that. He wanted to just get it as soon as possible. And I was like, okay, then you're probably approaching the wrong person because I'm not going to be able to teach you that. 
And if your body doesn't adapt, I can't just force your body to suddenly adapt. Yeah. And uh, yeah, when it comes to stretching, it's so humbling to realize that, okay, all these goals I want, the more, the older I become and the less I have a sort of, uh, the less my body moves in that range, the harder it's going to become. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been the same journey for me. And what I've realized with my own stretching practice is to, to not be so attached to those end goals. Yeah, set them for the future and if you get there great if you don't get there you're still going to get as close to that goal as possible so it's not like you know it's, it's not one or the other you're going to get through the nuances as well so um, yeah just enjoy that process yeah man I think like to the big goals that I've done well one physically it was when I started bow staff you know I love bow staffs bow staff yeah big long staffs right um, did it would use like kung fu you know, right big, right okay big staffs and nunchucks as well right okay cool cool, yeah. cool. I love stuff like that and when I started martial arts or before I started martial arts for one of the many times I just wanted to learn it so I bought one offline a phone one mm. got, got it on YouTube and just learned I spent like three four hours in the studio at my old gym it was big just practicing sometimes it's in the summer just learning it because I was so motivated and I loved it and that was where it was like there would be frustrations at points that if I'd been training for a long time, say I'd done two hours in there and I'd be like, oh, I'm getting frustrated mm. now. But I never stopped enjoying it and there was so much fire to to do it and to keep going. And and even now, I still love it. I'll go to gym and juice and I just, in between my clients, get the nunchucks out, get my bow stuff out. Yeah. And it's so great. And there'll be certain movements that I would do, like swinging it around my neck and flicking it and catching it. When I first landed them, it was like, oh, yes, you know, that was, oh, so what a wonderful feeling because that was a practice and the goal was being set by that or even doing handstands I was determined to do a handstand mm. and to walk on my handstand and not nailed it perfectly I can do it and I can do it at will now and it's there's times where it's been oh I'm in control um, but either way I can always get up and that was a goal that I wanted like it doesn't have to be perfect I just want to be able to mm. hold it and to be able to do it and that itself was like when that occurred it was like yes great great I'm on the path here and it never felt like what do I do now because they are transferable skills and for one it's always bloody fun to go upside down on your hands or it's always fun for me to swing a bow staff around like yeah. that goal hasn't left while I suppose with weights when I've lifted a certain amount I think I was like 70 kilograms and the most I lift I got to like 210 kilograms and you know that was when I plant based diet as well vegan when I did that and it was like right well I've lifted a hell of a lot of weight for my body type and um, but it was like I didn't have fire behind it to either keep going or to, to do it again once I'd done it it was like okay I'm that strong but it, because I believe it wasn't aligned with my nature it mm. won't take me any further strength has but to that extreme it hasn't it wasn't required yeah because so, strength is very general mm. there's different levels of strength so when you have that one mindset of strength of saying I'm going to attach a number to this weight and I'm going to try and achieve this number then you, at the end of the day once you achieve that number you realise that it's just a damn number it's just a weight that you've lifted and there's nothing more than that. There's no sort of refining that lift or, well, you can refine the lift, but then it's, you're going, if you keep going with increasing your weight, eventually you're going to get to a point where the body will not be able to push beyond that. Mm -hmm. And if it does, it'll go to a breaking point. And then you've got to ask yourself, is it worth me going to that breaking point? Um, so yeah, yeah, it's interesting that you said that about uh, your training as well. I felt when it came to doing things, I always wanted to do everything. 
So do you know when you're in, in school, when you're in high school or when you're in primary school, especially in high school, not in primary school, but your teachers ask you, what career path do you want to take or what do you want to be when you grow up? And I didn't really know. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to play cricket. I wanted to uh, get, get into animation, um, you know, have my own website, all this kind of stuff. And I realized that the lifestyle or the life that we live doesn't cater for people that are jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. And it's something I... I talked to my um, my mentor back in university when I was doing my final year project. Um, he said to me, like, what, because I was studying zoology, he was like, what career path do you want to go down? Like, what do you want to study? What do you want to do? And I was like, I'm not sure. I, I kind of want to do everything, but I also don't want to do zoology at the same time. I want to do other things as well. And he goes, well, it's going to be difficult. Like, that path is difficult. You want to be good at one thing, and then you can do everything else on the side. But I was like, that's kind of boring. For me, I'd rather be very good at multiple things than be excellent or excel at one thing. You know, it just for me that's always been the path. Be really good, really damn good at everything, as to as opposed to just clinging to one thing. Because then you know that you can change whenever you want. You can kind of go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, um, and still have some sort of enjoyment for it and to it. Um, and when you get too clingy to one thing, if that thing doesn't work for you, most people hit depression. One of the reasons why they hit depression is that one career path they focus their entire life on, they've realized that they become so good at it that they have to stay with that. They can't change mm-hmm. to anything else. So he told me about his friend who was a surgeon, uh, was a surgeon, was a lecturer. You know, he did some amazing things, but then he was stuck with one career path. He was stuck because he was a damn good surgeon. He was stuck with that and didn't know how to get out of that. So what he did was he juggled other other sort of university as well. He went into university again and studied to become, um, going to like lecturing. So he taught medicine at university. He did, he was great at playing the piano. He was a great skydiver. He did all these things because he felt as though the whole being stuck in one career path wasn't for him. Obviously that paid the bills. But he wanted to do other things and become good at other things at the same time. Um, and that was just one person. Most people will maybe become an accountant or a lawyer or get into finance and then never leave that career because they're so, they're so good at it. And it's because it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. You become so good at something that you know that if you start something new, you're going to be absolutely shit at it. Mm-hmm. And that fear of being shit and terrible at something is more than enough for you to just stay in your career. So you'll just stick with the same career all your life and not just see any other paths. Yeah, maybe that's also people don't realise that they are good at other things. Yeah. Or their, their nature is calling to something else as well. Like I've got good at this. this then breeds the security that I'll stay here then. Yeah. And it's still following the old model of, of, you know, what our parents' generations were doing is get the career, get the house, da-da-da, make sure everything's cool and, and yeah. just live your life till you die, which... Again, it's fine. People can choose that path, especially if you found the thing that you do love and that you are happy to continue to do all your life. Then great. Um, you know, I think that I found that with going into breath work. Uh, do I want to be a meditation instructor? Do I want to just work with self development and the mind? Do I want to teach breath work? Do you know? Do I want to get into holding ayahuasca ceremonies? It could have been a multitude of, of things, and I have gone into each of those to see what I like the best. And without a doubt, it is breath work and meditation. Fortunately, other things fall in line with that. But if I had to pick one thing, it would be, okay, I'm just going to go with the breath, uh, the breath work and the meditation because they go together and they can also be done separately. So that's that's great for me. And 
what I feel when I deliver those sessions or part of the community they're involved with it's just love every time it's like this is right I don't have to think about it this is right see if I can make my life based off around that after spending your 20s you know they say that's for figuring stuff out and going into life and try a bit of this and try a bit of that and then maybe narrow it down and choose something to to really get into yeah still being open to change within what's in that field hence progression and career ladders that people go through um but if you put yourself into a dead end it's you have to be ready to let go and start from the bottom if you've got older and you don't have any skills with it you'll have to go and develop them or at least if you're doing something at a job that's very nine to five and you know it pays pays might pay really well but you're not fulfilled energetically and you don't feel good or you're not with the right people in there like keep doing what you're doing but learn something on the side because those one two three four five ten years are going to pass anyway why not just do a little course on the weekends like one day a week or twice a month or something or in the evenings if you are willing to spare Mm -hmm. that time to be developing other traits and skills that you are passionate about that can turn into a career and also you know what why would we choose to do that one thing that we're not happy about is it for the security um and if it is, is it, is it worth it that much? Are we, would we be willing to downsize the apartment or the house that we live in to live a, literally live more than be mechanical and stay locked into our place? So I, it, there's difference of things. Um, just going back to what you said then, so would you say it's better to be a jack of all trades and a master of none? Or is it, do you hone in on what you are specifically good at and develop on the side? Like what's, what's your take? I think it depends on the person. Um, I feel... The more things you try, the more you start to understand what, which sort of bracket you fall into. And obviously for many people, a jack of all trades isn't really, it's not celebrated in society. Mm. People want people that are the best at what they do. They feel safe with that person. Yeah, exactly. And it's something you can admire that this person's dedicated 20 years of their life, 30 years of their life just doing that one craft over and over again. And we don't tend to look at people that are jack of all trades. Well, there is one prominent one, but there aren't many that we can think about in the past. Leonardo da Vinci. You know, Da Vinci was amazing engineer, was amazing at um, architecture, amazing at drawing, just so precise with his drawings, so much detail. Uh, his paintings, of course. Medically as well, he studied, Medi- Exactly, studied. yeah. He was obsessed with uh, cadavers, separating cadavers and just going in and looking at how the the, the sort of biology of the humans work mm. um, and stuff like that. So there are prominent figures in the past that were jack-of-all-trades, but these days you can't really name many. You know, people like to that level, he was probably just a freak uh, himself because... You know, you don't get people that are so damn good at mm. everything they do. Um, funnily enough, there's a there's a cricketer I used to follow, um, and I think he's just retired. A.B. De Villiers is a South African cricket player. Now, he could have gone and played professional uh, tennis. He could have played professional golf. And I think they were saying he was damn good at rugby as well. Right. But then he chose cricket out of all those. Um, and, uh, yeah... Athletes like that don't come very often. Mm. Uh, and I think there's an Australian girl who's quite similar as well. Uh, and she's a cricketer and also plays football at the same time. But people like that don't come very often. And it's because we're discouraged in a way when mm. we're younger to, to not take that path, to be, only be good at one thing. But most people that excel want to excel at other things as well, not just one thing. Um, so it's down to you. It's down to you to, to choose sort of what your 
what your path is basically and if you become good at one thing that's great but that doesn't mean that you don't pick other things up on the way and you don't bring that to a certain level as well uh, I think we get put off by that so if you're great at meditation and you're, you're a yoga teacher you're not supposed to be good at strength training <laughs> especially because they they're kind of they're yin and yang in a way so stuff that's the opposite of what you do you tend not to mm-hmm. look into whereas we should be doing that we should be going into stuff that is completely the opposite so yeah, I, I want to kind of get into like ballet and stuff and, and try that out like, because that's going to be completely out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, yeah, just do things that are the opposite of what you normally would do. You know, I think that's the way to kind of really figure out what you're good at and just kind of figure out what's, what your, your sort of, what self-actualization is for you um, yeah. and what your, you know, what, what kind of career paths you want to take. Yeah, I hope the very least it will open your mind and because I think if people go into what they don't want to do they will first see all the blocks and the limits of this is why it's not good and this is why I'm not interested in it so okay let's just go and try it and yeah, see yeah. Um, and we find out with our fears you know because the fears might be saying no no it's, it's rubbish for this and go well is that the fear have you got a fear about mm. it is that why we're finding the walls and resistance because if we didn't have that resistance we'll be fine with it it'll be okay and maybe the jack of all trade people don't have that mm. or they have lesser of less that of it. or they don't have a clinginess towards that fear um, so they are willing to start again fresh from something else because there's a, an addiction and there's a buzz towards being the shittest person in the room mm. you know and starting from that square so yeah, yeah and having the the self-belief knowing that you can go into any environment and you'll figure it out like you're not I'm going to nail this but I'll go into it and I'll see yeah I can I can do this mm. and that adds in into it and one thing I work with fear when I first wanted to start um, Jeet Kune Do in town um, you know, and I went to the, the martial arts, just like, oh, it starts at this time. Hadn't done any martial arts for ages, was feeling a bit rusty. Um, and I went and I was a bit late for the class. It was just warming up and looked through the door and I was like, just fear came over me. Mm. I was like, nah, I can't go in there. I don't feel confident enough. And I was like, so just tail between my legs and I walked <laughs> away. And that was, you know, that could have been the end of it. But there was something that goes, no, I want to get into that and I want to try it. And even if I am feeling uncomfortable, I will develop and learn from it. So yeah. I just, put myself I made the situation as comfortable as possible so next time I went earlier so I could get in um, when the early people were going and start from that way and then that was it I was in then and then any anxiety or fears that my mind was projecting they go when you're doing it because mm. you're figuring it out and you're understanding it there and it's it's such a shame if we limit ourselves by resistance to one I wanted to do that so I already had the fortune to go well I want to do it and I'm going to get there at some point you still have to action that because mm. like I say oh, I'll do it next month I'll do it next six months I'll do it next year yeah. and never get around to it because we have the idea that we want to do it and we just never get to it because it's nicer to have the dream than to actualise it for yeah. a lot of people because of yeah. the fear that comes with having to actualise your own dreams but then when I went to go and do it and I just stayed with it because I loved it and it would grow and it would grow and it would grow and then okay I've developed that skill even if that's just going into something that I'm unsure about I learned it was for me so I'll keep doing that and then I can take that and go into a different style of martial arts because yeah. I know I love martial arts from it um, so it's to to discover ourselves one looking at why do we have resistance and when we say that like truly not because I don't like it because it's this why do you feel that resistance yeah. what is your issue with it because that's what the block is it'll be conditioning somewhere and then to go into it and to embrace it without that and go yeah there's fear there but all right, let's just go in. Let's see if I can not project any mental imagery and just let any emotions go in and see what do I get out of it then mm. that isn't being fed by the mind, but is being fed by the presence. And maybe we'll enjoy it. Or maybe we'll realize, oh, it's not for me, but I understand why people like it now. Yeah. You know, like everybody wins then. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Let me just turn that camera back on again. 
Two very boring minutes later. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that before we wrap it up. Um, I think it comes when you when you become really good at a particular skill, um, and you you remember what you were like when you were terrible at it. That in itself is translatable. So you can apply that skill. It doesn't matter what skill it is. You can apply that same concept, that same sort of intensity, the same sort of drive to other parts of your life, and then you start to realize that okay. It always got, it's always going to start off with me being terrible at one thing and I can kind of take that concept and apply it to another part of my career, another part of my, my life, spirituality, relationships as well. So it's not just about your career paths or your hobbies. It's also about how you deal with certain situations, you know, to realize that, okay, well, my past have been terrible in these situations and it's probably because I've just been naive and I've not really experienced anything. But now I've become so good at it. I've see, I've been in those situations multiple times. How do I apply that now? What, what, how do I learn from what I did previously and apply it to the situation I'm in right now? Mm. And and it's so important for us to do that um, and not be so um, caught up with just one frame of thinking. Um, yeah, I was just listening to Sadhguru this morning and he says it comes down to trying to celebrate and be attached to the intellect and not being, uh, not thinking about, intellect and clarity are two different things. Intellect is our thought process. So how we think and that's conditioned by the experiences and, and the things that we've gone through. And clarity is completely different because there is an ob- objective truth that exists. It's whether our sort of thought process aligns with that. When it doesn't align with that, what usually happens then it goes back to the conversation we had the other day is we become attached to that, attached to defending that thought process and the way we think, even though we know that deep down inside, it actually, it doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't make sense for me to defend this, but because I've done it for so long. So for you being a vegan, letting your hair grow out, you've been attached to that image and that and that process of this is what I should represent myself as because mm-hmm. this is how I feel on the inside. But then when someone questions you and says, why do you look scrawny and you look unhealthy because you look drained, your body just looks drained, you think I'm doing it because, you know, it's because of uh, a particular reason. So you're doing it out of uh, morality. Um, and yeah, it, we become really attached to the image mm-hmm. that we created in that situation. So- yeah, I mean, having, having awareness of every moment this thought's come in where has that thought come from and why am I thinking that is that linked to my emotion of resistance or not wanting to grow or trying to get hold of something too much like it's swapping that instinct and reaction that's always going to occur until we've tapered things down yeah bringing in meditation or breath work developing those skills uh, meditation definitely to observe the truth that isn't it isn't um, tainted by our own experience or thoughts or what this other person has told us or said and to, to see, okay, I've got this information, what is usable, uh, what do I need to figure out for myself and what uh, what's causing me confrontation right now? Can I let them go and just see the image for what it is? And this is when we talk about what perspective is and what lenses of perception that we have on because you can change these glasses for this other pair, mm. put these sunglasses on for this other shade and that's how the the brain is looking at things all the time and we, we definitely have to train ourselves to go, okay, let's look clearly, let's look clear 
and then the better we get at that the more we can implement it in those situations where we go ah I'm not going to go in there I'm going to go that way yeah. instead because yeah, yeah. fear 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 problem 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 issue 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 when we really could go am I are they real or is that just these glasses that, that I've got on right now is it just because I'm saying this emotion means this or this person said that is that why I'm really being stopped and it's easy to believe that and then we don't have to do anything and then we can blame the world and blame all the issues only when we see that our mind is conditioned because it is conditioned can we truly accept that there's a whole other world out there and we might be stuck in the matrix you know and yeah. we need that we need to break out we need a red pill man and, and burst through and once it's done the first time it gets easier from that point on to recall it again and again and have those beautiful moments of clarity mm. yeah that's a great place to wrap up um, I think We've gone up to 50 minutes there. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, what would you call this podcast, the second one? It's more about... <laughs> the title will come, man. The title will come. Yeah, we're struggling with titles. So, if you guys know any titles for our podcasts, especially the ones that you listen to, please do drop them down below in the comment section. Uh, Craig, it's been a pleasure. Always, man. Um, Always. I'll see you in episode three. You will do, mate. Perfect. Right, guys, uh, do you want to talk about how people can link to us? Or get yeah, to us? you can grab me personally on Instagram at Craig underscore Seaton 2 um, Facebook, CS Life Holistics. And you can also find my little space in Ancoats at hub.holistic on Instagram. Or just drop me an email, get in touch to us from here. I'm sure we'll all be linked up from, from this page, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it'd be nice to hear from you. Any comments or anything? Yeah, do let us know if there are any topics you want us to discuss um, because, yeah, we're, we're doing these rambles and it'd be nice to have some, some topics that yeah. people want to listen to. Um, as for me, you can get in contact with me on Instagram at chet underscore Carson um, and I'm probably just on Instagram. I don't like Facebook and I don't like the other social media. So just Instagram, guys. Right, we're going to call it. We'll catch you on the next one. See you later.